There you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. This U.S. Navy and former SEAL Team 6 member has a story to tell. She is on the cutting edge of some really cool things taking place after her service. She is a seven-time deployed combat veteran, is the holder of the Purple Heart and a bronze medal with the V device. It's one of our longer conversations. I think the information in her story is significant to the social fabric of not only America, but of the whole planet. I appreciate you listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio. You're definitely going to enjoy this one. Thank you. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night. You were born to fight. You gotta light em up. My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Out of Combat Radio. Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all they burn it down. Our guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero, is the United States Navy veteran and former member of SEAL Team 6, Senior Chief Special Warfare Operator Kristen Beck. Hailing from a small Pennsylvania farm, Kristen went on to earn an electrical engineering degree in 1988 from the Virginia Military Institute. In 1990, Beck enlisted in the Navy and became a SEAL, desiring, in her own words, to be one of the toughest of the tough. She certainly earned that distinction. During her 20-year Navy career, Kristen would receive the Purple Heart and the Bronze Star with the Valor, a V device. Those of you who are listening that understand that, they don't just hand those out. Along with nearly 50 other medals, she deployed 13 times. Seven of those were combat deployments to Afghanistan, Iraq, Bosnia, and Africa. Kristen retired from the Navy in 2011. Today, she is still on the front lines, fighting to educate the public and to support other transgender human beings. In 2013, she co-authored the book Warrior Princess with Anne Speckhard about her own personal journey. The documentary film Lady Valor, the Kristen Beck story, aired on CNN in 2014. She ran for a seat in Congress in August of 2015, finishing second in the Democratic election primary. Kristen has appeared on the Dr. Phil show and has been interviewed numerous times by various media outlets around the country. I am humbled and very honored to have Kristen Beck on this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio. Welcome, Chief. Hey, thanks a lot. There's a couple of things in the intro I'd love to correct. Well, okay, go ahead. Let's do that then. I didn't graduate from VMI. I was there for three years, electrical engineering, and then I ended up going to a uh, university in upstate New York. I was kind of a jerk, a jackass. <laughs> can, I, can I cuss on this? Absolutely. So I was a jackass when I was in college. I was drinking a lot in a fraternity. I was playing lacrosse and rugby and just my priorities were all messed up. And it's one of those things that you go to college when you're when you're 17 or 18 and you don't even know who you are yet. You know, I wasted my time. I wasn't studying. I was paying all that money to go to a school and I just wasn't concentrating, you know. And I wish that we would do like Israel or some of the other countries that require service before you know, you'd go to college. Like it would be just, when you're 18, you graduate from high school, you do a year or two years. But if, even if you did a year of service, 
And when I say service, it's not just military. I think you should be able to serve in the Peace Corps and, you know, the park services as an ambulance driver and police or doing anything. If it was public service, something that was not just for you, but trying for the greater good, that's service. And if I would have done that for a year before I went to college, I would have been so much better off. Chris, and those are some great points because, you know, I'm a lot like you. You know, I went to school, you know, 18 years old, didn't have a clue as to who I was, what I was doing. Got into a fraternity. You know, I had a lot of blackout parties, you know, where you'd wake up the next morning and, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're wearing your underwear and maybe your jacket from the night before. And you have you haven't a clue as to what happened the night yeah. before. And, you know, and I get it. And and you're so right. We waste all that. Well, we don't want anybody to get upset, but we we spend a lot of money. And, you know, I my my major was restaurant management. That's as far away from what I'm doing now, what I've done my my whole life. So anyhow, we, we know what we know what we're talking about. But. But even even for like the Uber liberal people, when you talk about service, that's not, you know, being law enforcement that everyone hates or being working for ICE that everyone hates. And I'm talking about the liberal side of the house. And I'm liberal, you know, don't get me wrong. But I can't stand the people that hate the military and they hate law enforcement and they hate ICE and they hate Border Patrol and they hate the park service. You kicked me out of that park. And it's like you guys end up making enemies that you don't even know what they do. It's like, I was in the military for 20 years, and I'll tell you what, I didn't kill any babies like has been yelled at me. I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't mean. We didn't overtake countries because we felt like taking our oil or we felt like doing whatever we wanted to do. We're not colonists. We're not doing all the stuff that they have all these signs and all this hatred, you know, pointed at the military. It really pisses me off. Now, I'm liberal, like I said, but I'm also conservative in a few ways, too. And that's where people get me wrong. They they can't understand me, you know, and I don't mind that. But the thing is, I was at a university giving a speech to about 600 students and faculty and uh, special guests about a week ago. And I talked about my military service. And I was like, I could hear like the audible, like when I started talking about anything about the military. And I was talking at a very liberal school. This is like at, on par with Berkeley. Right. And I'm not going to badmouth Berkeley or even the school I spoke at, but there are certain schools that are very, very liberal and left leaning, and you know who they are. But then you also have the opposite end of the spectrum some schools that are uber conservative and super right, and Liberty University, I'd put on that end of the spectrum. So I would say Liberty on one side, Liberty University. And I, I went to school with Jerry Falwell, and he's the president of Liberty right now. And so I know what he's coming from, and I know what that, I can talk that language. I don't like to, but I can talk it. And then on the other end of the spectrum is Berkeley. You know, if you want to take the far left and far right schools, you know, higher education. And now what are they teaching all the students if you have only the people who you agree with and you're in an echo chamber of Uber left? And Berkeley booed out that one person that they were going to have there speaking and they wouldn't let her speak. Yeah, you raise a good point, Kristen, because, you know, this is how I kind of look at it. Very similar to that. You know, you have the spectrum of the population. You have like 1% on the Uber left and 1% on the Uber right. And then there's like 98% of us that are trying to just live this life. And like you, I'm very conservative on some things and I'm very liberal on some things, you know, and and, and we're just trying to survive. And And remember, what was that thing a long time ago? The guy that was saying it was the case out there, why can't we just get along? And, you know, it sounds so cliche, but the reality is, is why can't we? Why can't we get along? 
I don't get it. I think of those people on the 1% far left and 1% far right that you're talking about, they drive all of the narratives and they make us choose. And it's actually a false choice. They say you can be liberal or you can be conservative. They don't say that, hey, it's okay if you if you have certain policies and you have certain politicians you love and you can live your lifestyle of liberty and freedom. Like me, this is just me living my life. I'm not hurting you. I'm not paying your salary. I don't want you to like me or love me or even shake my hand or buy me beer. I don't need anything from you know 99.9% of the world. And when it comes to America, I don't affect anyone. I'm just sitting here on my farm, you know, plowing the fields and taking care of my cattle. And I'm welding the other day. I'm just doing stuff just to take care of my farm. And then I give speeches once in a while. I don't affect anyone. I'm living my life. Yes, exactly. And, you know, that's what people say, well, you know, freedom of speech or or this or that. But when it comes to downright hatred and bigotry, I'm not sure where that sets with me, you know, because it's not. I got to tell you this straight up. I love my dad dearly, but my dad came from Pittsburgh. He had some very strong, strong beliefs that were very nationalistic. And I used to see the pain in people's faces when we'd go out to the restaurant and he'd, he'd make a, a sly remark over somebody because they were an Asian. Well, it was funny to him, but to me as a small child, I would look at the pain on that person's face and I, and I would say, you know, gosh, dad, I'm thinking this in my head, that person's in pain. You know, you said something about the way their eyes looked and so I, I picked up on that at a very young age. Be respectful of people's dignity. You know, we all have a right to be here. And and if somebody hates me, that's that's on them because I don't hate anybody. I really don't. And and well, how can you really say that? There's got to be somebody you dislike. Well, I haven't met him yet. And and if somebody does something that I don't like, I just walk the other way. Those are deep questions. So you grew up in Pennsylvania and you're on your farm now, but. Who were your mentors coming along when you were growing up on the farm? Did you have the military in your background, family, or what was going on on the farm? Oh, yeah. All my mentors, I mean, all the books I read were on military. I read science fiction or military. That was pretty much it. I read a lot of Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein on the science fiction end. And then for the military stuff, I was always reading about Vietnam or World War II. My grandfather was in World War II. I had an uncle in Vietnam. I had a lot of family members in World War II, actually. You know, uncles, my grandfather, like I said, my father was just too young for World War II, and then he was too old for Vietnam and all that. And uh, he was a school teacher too, so and with the five kids, so he had. I don't think he would have served anyway, just because of the the family. I don't know. It was like so the mentors. I would say it was like Chesty Puller, and it was you know you know Marshall, and it was all the like the generals and the people who were leaders. And that was what led me into VMI. And the reason I was so military-focused was because of all of my you know, aunts and uncles and, and grandfather and all the other people. I just I was always around it. And you would see pictures, and they would talk about it just a little bit, just enough that would like, oh, you know, you'd like want to hear more. They would never really dig deep into it. You know, it was one of those things. And I was growing up in a small town. And in our town, we had a Vietnam Veterans Outreach Center. Now, you got to figure, I mean, I was born in 1966. Right. So Vietnam was going on, full swing. When I started getting old enough, it was still going on, you know, in 1974, 75. So I was in, you know, always seeing it on TV. And it was on TV every night. 
you know, the Vietnam War for the news. And you only get three channels when I was growing up. <laughs> and uh, two of them were black and white. I think we got a little bit of color on one of them. It was mostly green. But, uh, I mean, that was the 70s, you know. We had a big antenna that my dad had to go on a roof and kind of adjust to get certain <laughs> channels. I remember that. You remember remember oh, those yeah. days? Yeah. I mean, we, I grew up not very well off. You know, we were eating government cheese and powdered milk. The three channels on the small TV that the family would gather around, it was it. And it was always the Vietnam War. After dinner, my dad would turn it on and the news would be on. And uh, we'd watch it for an hour and then he'd say, all right, kids, go to bed. And that was it. And so it, it was really, it was always there. I think we had Walt Disney too on Sundays. I think that came on every now and then. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the Wild World of Sports was always like oh, the big gosh. one we'd watch. Yep. I, I miss those days a little bit. It was the mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom. Oh, yeah. The Wild, Wild World of Sports. Marlon Perkins, remember? Yes. And look at him. He's got uh, the big cobra or whatever. Jeez. <laughs> I, I just, I think there's too much. We're in like a, Netflix has a million things, oh, a million channels of TV. It's it's like a million channels of shit. And it's like, and kids are growing up. It's just too much. I know. It's just, you know, you know, there's a book that was out. I don't remember the name, The Porn Generation. And it talks about how we we lost something. It came out a while back, maybe a t- 10 years ago, but it talks about yeah. how we've had this shift in modern in modern culture. You know, it wasn't, a, it was an idyllic life and simplicity, I guess. And Yeah, let me say something about that. So it wasn't better. It was simpler and it meant something like everything meant something because you couldn't waste that 30 minutes or that hour making a TV show about vampires because it was harder because you had to film it and the cameras were hugely expensive and to do the film. I think that because it cost so much, everybody was more careful. And now everything is so cheap that everybody's lazy and it's just like you can put out a bunch of crap and it's going to stick to the walls with a few people. So if you make a TV show nowadays, it's super simple. You buy a camera, you rent a camera for $1,000 a day, you shoot a bunch of crap, and you throw it against a wall. It's going to stick for a little bit of people, and people are going to watch it on YouTube or on Netflix. A few people watch it, so people are entertained. It's not going to entertain very many people, but if you figure that if you have 100,000 people watch your thing, it's success. You did it. You know what I mean? Because everything is so freaking cheap. It's so cheap. And now we have technology at our fingertips. So it's simple. It wasn't necessarily better. I agree with you on that. And, and so you had these mentors. VMI is down. It was in Lexington, Virginia, right? VMI? Yes. Yep. Okay. So you, so you make it to VMI and, and you're doing the same thing I was doing in the fraternity. Getting yeah, just yeah. freaking wasted. Well, VMI was no fraternities. The fraternities are at Washington Lee next door. Yeah. And so me and my buddies would, you know, we'd get out of the three-story. It was like 60 feet up. Like on this roof, we'd rappel down the side of a building and we would put on civilian clothes, we're hidden in the woods, and then go to the fraternity. And they were actually trying to trying to what is it called? Pledge they were trying to pledge us into the fraternities at another school because we were there like all the time. They're like, Hey, what class are you? You know, we were in a class of eighty eight. So where were you last year? I said, Well, you know, I was pretty busy and they said, Well, you want to pledge, you know, it's Delta, Sig, whatever. It was Sigma Nu. They said, you want to pledge Sigma Nu? And they're like, well, you know, we actually go to VMI, you know, so we can't pledge. You're like, what? <laughs> well, VMI, you guys founded us like a thousand years ago. So, hey, just show up, man. It's cool to you come around. Just don't start any fights. We're like, all right, man, we'll just drink and then, you know, have a fun time. Here's 20 bucks. Thanks for the beer. <laughs> I don't know. It was like, it was fun. But yeah, VMI didn't have fraternities. I was I was a real breaker, and I jumped out of a three-story window pretty much every night to go drink. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those were, <laughs> we called those, those were the good old days, right? So you left after three years, you went and still got your degree, but you, and you didn't wait long. Yeah. You went right to the Navy after that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I graduated in 1989 and then I, I was out of college and then Desert Shield started, you know, Iraq invaded Kuwait, you know, during that time period. And so just like everyone in my family, I was like, well, I'm graduating college, not in high school. I'm old enough to join. I have to join. So there's a war coming on. And just like my grandfather, just like all my uncles, just like so many other people in my family, as soon as the flag goes up and I say, we need people, we offered our hand in the air and we volunteer. And so that's what I did. So where did you go to your Navy basic training? Navy boot camp was in Orlando. And what was that like for you? It was the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> it was such a waste of time for me. And I say that because I went to VMI and I was in really good shape because I knew that when I was going, I was already working out on like a SEAL team regimen. So I was already, I knew I was going into SEALs. That's all my, that's my goal. So I went to boot camp. The boot camp commanding uh, com uh, company commanders, they found out I went to VMI. They made me the recruit chief petty officer, the RCPO, which pretty much runs that class through boot camp. And so I was in charge and I had you know people under me, L uh, a couple of LCPOs, recruit LCPOs and all that. So the whole chain of command was all under me for that one class. Right. And uh, they were all joking because I would, after uh, the you know, night, dinner or whatever we would do whatever and we'd have some free time i would always go out and work out so i was doing pull-ups push-ups i'd go for runs while everybody else was like shining shoes and doing all that i was working out and so my shoes weren't always the shiniest but it was like they kind of knew what i was doing so i got a little bit of forgiveness for that and so they started calling me rclpo instead of rcpo oh, that's pretty so it was cool. just kind of they're an rcpo rclpo and the uh, com uh, company commanders would give me time off even during the daytime, they said, hey, there's not really much going on right now. We have about an hour. We're going to have everybody else doing this and this just to waste some time. If you want to go work out, you want to go run, go ahead and go for it. And the reason they were doing it was because one of the company commanders was a special boat guy back in the old days. And so he knew all the SEALs because he rode, he drove the boats for them. And uh, he was like, hey, I know the training you're going to, so I'm going to give you as much time as you need you know, during boot camp, because I know once you start turning and burning, you're not going to be able to do this. And I was like, all right, that's awesome. So they were, and I was older than all the rest of them too, because I was, you know, 24, I guess. And everybody else was like 18. So I was older and VMI and all that. And I had a SEAL team was like, that's all I'm doing. And so I had a lot more liberty than uh, a lot of the other recruits. And plus it was, it was freaking ridiculous. They'd make us like, we'd walk to the chow hall they give us a break because we just walked a mile it's like come on where we marched a mile here's your break they'd make us do 10 push-ups if you did something wrong you do like that's your punishment i was like come on man i can already do 100 in a row come on let's go i know you well you know you're going into you're directed you're going to the navy seals and, and you know everybody yeah. knows that you know on the face of this planet that that training i mean anything that i've read those people and you're one of them is kind of like a superhuman to go through stuff like that and you know, it, you know, we'll get we'll get the buds here in a second. But is there any one thing that stands out in that basic training part of your Navy career that just stands out? Was there any particular incident that you still remember about it? I don't remember it, anyone's names. I had someone contact me uh, like five or six years ago, and he said something about being in my boot camp, and uh, they knew I'd make seals and all that, and there, and I was just like. Man, and I don't know if it's the traumatic brain injuries that I've lost a lot of memories, 
but I don't remember anything from boot camp. You know, not nothing stands out except that I was working out all the time and company commanders that were running it, you know, the the chief and all the other guys were running it, the actual real chiefs. Yeah. They gave me a lot of freedom because they knew that my uh, what was coming ahead was going to be really tough. And so they let me off a lot. Well, the freedom ride started already. So you got through that, which was probably easy peasy for you. And then, so then you make it down to Coronado and tell us a little bit about that. And then we'll talk a little bit about a deployment or two, and then we'll talk about your transition and those kinds of things. But what was Bud's like when you got to Coronado? Well, you're driving up to the gates <laughs> and you're driving in there for the first day. And it's just like, I don't know if it's that experience. It's like, if you want to be an astronaut your whole life and the first time you show up at astronaut camp or whatever they call it like you start seeing the rockets and you start seeing there go some real astronauts because the buds training is right in the middle of you know seal team five then the other side is seal team one and seal team three so you're surrounded by all the real seals and you're just showing up you're going oh there's a real seal and you just drive and it's like oh you're just like your heart's pounding you go oh my god and then uh you basically Walk into, you know, go into the front door and you check in with all of your records. In those days, they'd give you this big envelope and you had a medical record and all your records were yeah. in this envelope because everything was hard copy. And so I have all of my records in my hands and, and I walk into the quarter deck and, and I hand them my records and immediately you're getting yelled at. And they're making you do push ups and you're like in dress whites. So in your like your spiffiest uniform trying to look all sharp and great and then you start doing push-ups and then someone else starts yelling at you you know go hit the surf you know and, and you're like what like immediately it just starts it just starts you know right there at check-in you're you're wet in the ocean in your dress uniform and then you're they're telling you roll around in sand and they're watching because it's like your introduction is like this is no joke so then your best uniform is all like wet just dirty and you're like you're like damn (laughs) and it costs you like 50 bucks to buy it out of your own pocket you're just like man now i gotta go to this thing clean hopefully it's not messed up (laughs) but yes it's no joke what's the surf like you know we've heard about the surf with those the those zodiacs you know i know that uh we've seen everybody's seen it i mean but you're in it you know seeing it and being in it two different things yeah it's no joke you know i mean the waves get big in california and also the water in San Diego is always like, it seems like it's always a constant 60 degrees. I don't think it ever goes above 60, maybe even colder than that. Like in the winter, it gets colder than that, but it's cold water. And no matter how sunny it is, you think it's always sunny in California and all that, you know, it's the water's cold. And if you're in that water for an hour or two hours, and then they have you like just with a pair of shorts on, no shirt, nothing else, mm. just basically a pair of shorts and you're in the water, then you're out and the wind is blowing you're going to get cold. And I'll tell you what, they've gotten us so cold. You know, people are getting hypothermia. They're sticking people inside of the rewarming chamber, which is a hot tub that's only at like 75 or 80 degrees. So to make it just warm enough so that if you have somebody that's hypothermic and they're doing all those checks on your fingernails, then they check the gums to see if you have, you know, reflex. It's like a their blood reflexes in the capillary. It's capillary reflex. Right. So they're constantly checking you to see if you're hypothermic or not. And if you're like, and you barely move, like all your joints, you're like the zombie on TV. You're like moving really slow and it's hard to get going because you're like, you're like frozen. And they say, you know, they take you and they wrap you in a blanket, a stick in a rewarming chamber. You're warming up in a hot tub and you're kind of warm. And as soon as they start seeing capillary reflex, they stick you back in the ocean. All right, get back in the ocean. And they say, you don't have to go back to the ocean. You quit right now. 
And like, here's hot chocolate. And you have the constructor standing there with like a, a plate with hot chocolates on it. And you see the steam rising off it. It's just cold enough for the steam. It's like they torture you, constant mental. Mm-hmm. You can quit. You don't have to go back in the ocean if you don't want to. And just, all right, all right, I quit. The bell. What tells me? The bell me? is going off all the time. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they mind. They like mind freak you. I was going to say mind fuck you. It's constant psychological. They're playing games. They want to make you quit. It's like their goal. If you can't take this, if you can't take butts training, what you're going to face in the real world is going to be a thousand times worse. So they try to make you quit because if they can get that little, make you get that little whatever, that little quitness in you, then you you can't do the real thing. Because if you quit in the real thing, people die. Yeah. And so everything they do is for a reason. Like they put you in this really super, freezing, freezing cold, and you're up during hell week for, you know, like five and a half, six days. On like day four, when it, it's harder, day five, it's harder for them to work you out really hard to do anything dangerous because you're so messed up after being awake for four days. Like you're awake for four days straight. And so you're starting to hallucinate. You start getting really messed up. So they don't do anything dangerous anymore, but they just do stuff to mess with your mind. Like you're running and you're running for four miles. Like it's slow. And you're not doing that good, but they keep you in a group and you'll do the four miles after being awake for four days. And then they, you don't know how long they're going to run you. And then they start running you back towards the compound and you think you're going to stop. And the instructor just keeps running. We all stop because we're like, oh, we're done. Finally, we're at the finish line. And the instructor keeps going. And you're like, there's no finish line. You know, the SEALs have no finish lines. You know, keep going. And you're like, oh, God, we have to keep going? And you can quit if you want. There's the bell. And uh, you're like, some of them quit. They're like, I don't want to run anymore. I'm done. Ten miles into it. And after ten miles, you're still running. It's like three or four hours later. And you're still running. And they go back to the compound. And then there's the finish line. And they do the same thing. Everybody thinks you're done, and you're like, oh, finally, I can just stop, and we can eat, or we can do something, and my feet are killing me. And then the instructor keeps going, and you're like, no, we're still going. And it's like 12 miles. You're like, damn. How many weeks is Bud's training? Well, Bud's, Bud's is six months straight. Six so months straight. Six months, yeah, six months of training. So however many weeks. So that's how we come talking about some of the stuff that they do. They bring you in a super warm room after doing all that stuff. You're freezing cold. They stick you in this ultra hot room. It's like 90 degrees in this room. And they give you a piece of paper. They say, okay, we want to fill the front and the back with all the reasons why you should be a SEAL. Tell us why you should be a SEAL, why you deserve to be a SEAL. And they give you that paper and a pencil. All right. And then they close the door and they all leave. And like within 10 minutes, like the whole class is sleeping. And at your sleep. Like, everybody's on the desk. They're all like, oh, I'm drooling yourselves. Because you just can't stay awake at that point. This is like five days of being awake. So you're awake for five days. Everyone's sleeping. And then the instructors are, are watching until the last person nods off. And it's like after 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then they come in. And it, like all the instructors come in. And they sneak in real quiet. And they get right next to like all the students. They have like wa- cold water, ice water. They have trash cans with all the stuff. They have megaphones. And like all at once, all this just hell breaks loose. Like noise and cold water being thrown on everybody. And people getting pushed over in their, in their chairs, in the desks. And so you have all the students like, ah, everybody's freaking out. Get out, get in the surf. So it's just like everything's just messing your mind. If you want to quit, you can quit right now. You don't have to do this. You know, I can say, I, I know why somebody would quit for sure. You had 70 quit. I think it was like 70 or 80 people quit in my class. Well, it's definitely molding you to be an elite warfighter. <laughs> so, you know, no doubt. So 
you know, so graduation comes around six months of hardcore training. Mind your mind's being messed with all the time. You're like in peak physical, mental shape and operationally, you got your shit together. Tell us about the graduation. Graduation is it's it's euphoric. It's it's wild. And you don't get your trident yet. You don't get the bird. But the Singaporeans got the bird. So we are so pissed about that. Like all the SEALs, the American SEALs, we have to go to our teams. And the team back in those days, you would do six six more months of training. And mm. so it's that's BUDS is basic. That's all just beating you up to try to know that you're not a quitter. When you get to your team, that's when they train you. It's called STT, SEAL Tactical Training. And it was also called SQT, SEAL Qualification Training. Right. And now they're teaching you like the tactics. And they're teaching you like the advanced diving and the ship attacks and how to climb a caving ladder and take down a ship and how to do uh, gas and oil platforms, how to do, you know, airplanes and buses. So they're teaching all the tactics and all the real like fine-tuned SEAL team skills. And uh, people people get kicked out during that time too. So you made it through the six months of hell. Then you get to your team and you're still kicked out. You're like, no, you can't do it. You're not fast enough at that or you just can't get the skill. Or you're not smart enough. You can't pass this because they give you all these. You're constantly being tested. So you still don't have your trident for Jeez. six more months. So it's a year of training. So right after Bud's graduation, in my days, they would send you immediately to Fort Banning, Georgia. And you would go through airborne school with the airborne, you know, Army Airborne. And so my whole class pretty much went to airborne training for, what is it, two weeks or three weeks of airborne three weeks, school? I think. Yeah, three weeks. It felt like I was back at boot camp. They, they are like totally restricted on how many push-ups they can make you do. And I think it was like 25. And at the time when we got dropped for push-ups, we were doing 100. And then we'd say, drop again, we do another 100. Drop again, do another 100. So we would do 500 push-ups mm. because somebody did something wrong. In, in uh, airborne school, they're, they're restricted to 25 only. And if anybody did more than that, then the instructors would kind of get in trouble. And we would just keep doing them. We would pump it out. We'd do like 100. And like all the other students, they were getting so mad at us. Every time you go to the chow hall, you had to do like five pull-ups and then you're allowed because they had these, all these pull-up bars up this ramp that you'd walk on your pull-ups and then you all go into the chow hall. And we were used to doing like 40 pull-ups with like 30 pounds of stuff hanging on you. It was just like, dude, we're just, we're like, you're going to make it do five push pull-ups to go <laughs> eat food. Now I'm going to do 50 and we do 50 and like they'd, they'd get, They'd get, they'd get, well, they get mad at us because we're holding up the line. And we're like, no, we just want to get a workout. We're not going to make me lose my workout. Because it was like, you're getting out of buds and you, you know, you have advanced training to do. And I don't want to lose the, what, what I have, got. Yeah. And so if you're going to send me to three weeks of crappy army training, then I'm going to make do of it. Just like I did at boot camp. I'm not going to do your silly 10 pushups. I'm going to do your whatever. I need to stay in shape because I still know I got six more months of hard training coming ahead of me and you're not going to make me lose my shape, you know? Right. And so we, we weren't doing it to mess with them. We were a little bit, sometimes we'd do it just to mess with them. Like you purposely, when you're jumping out, they jump out of the airplane and go under static line. And we would personally try to end a parachute towards like puddles of water or anything just to be like, Hey seals, we got to get in the ocean. And so there, if there's any water, anywhere on a drop zone, all the seals would be aiming for it with the parachutes and then the instructors would get all pissed off and they'd say, what are you doing? Cause we'd be all wet and a parachute would be wet and then the riggers, they'd have to clean it off and dry it out and do all the stuff. So we'd get in trouble. We'd be like, all right, drop us for pushups. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they wanted to kick us out so bad. They hated us. 
They hated all the seals. So you got your jump wings. Must have been a piece of cake, yeah. actually. You guys, it was, line, yeah. It was like it was another waste of time yeah. for the seals. It was like, dude, just show us how to jump. You don't. You're not going to make us do push-ups. You're not going to make us quit. You're not going to make us run a lot or do anything. There's nothing you can do to us to make us, unless we, we're insubordinate and we do something that just makes you angry and you gang up on us. You could kick us out for discipline reasons because we're undisciplined because we're doing too many pull-ups. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, I know. So, oh yeah, and then we, but it was it was a waste of three weeks, and I think they finally changed the SEAL team course and they made it SEALs only, and we have our own course now, which is great. Which is probably a good thing because it keeps you guys mentally fit and ready to go. So, okay, so you did that. That was like so you guys probably changed the whole protocol for the U.S. Army. Well, the thing is, you got to figure that here's how messed up we were, and we didn't know this at the time. Dad, for airborne school, you have these eighteen-year-olds that are just out of high school and they need airborne troops, you know, the 82nd airborne, man, those guys are hardcore. And I hugely appreciate the guys that are in the battalions, like doing the work. Same thing with the Rangers. A lot of people get the Ranger tab, but not all of them are in the Ranger battalions. And so it's same thing with airborne. There's a ton of people getting the airborne wings, but they're not part of airborne. And that's some of the stuff that we didn't understand as young seals. We were just cocky seals, uh, do 50 pull-ups. But there's a lot of people that are 18 years old and they sign up for the army to go airborne to go into the 82nd, to go into like the real battalions, the real jumpers, you know, the war fighters. Right. And so we were making fun and going, this is so easy. This is such messed up. But this is like the a leadership and qualification course for the entire army. But there is a select few that are going to be airborne. And it didn't have to be like super hard for all those guys. And it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be because you got to figure that every airborne drop for the 82nd airborne. Every time they drop a thousand airborne guys, you're going to have a couple of them die, even on practice jumps and a lot of broken legs and a lot of stuff because you're jumping out in the middle of forests that are unknown drop zones. They're dropping on the, on the runways to overtake our uh, airfield. I mean, these guys are jumping into stuff that's just like, man, and they expect, they do it down the list. We're jumping on the airfield this time. It's a lot of hard landings. It's this and this. We're going to have a hundred broken legs. We might have two or three deaths. And they're like, this is what they do. I'm like, damn, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to hurry up and go to free fall school and land soft and then go do the battle. You know, go do what we do. And like, we were making fun of it. And it was like, we shouldn't have. You know, there's a lot of people that go to that school. They need it for leadership and they need it for the army stuff. And we just, we were in too good a shape before we got there. We weren't 18 like I was in the beginning of BUDS or boot camp or, you know, basic training. I was like, it was naive. It was almost like I was in college. We were naive jackasses thinking that we were the top of the world. And was like, dude, you have to understand that this school isn't designed for you guys. You guys need your jump wings and we're the only school. And hey, we're stuck with you guys. So give us a freaking break. Yeah. And we wouldn't give them a break. And I was like, I look back on that. I wish I wasn't so cocky at the time. It was a wrong, wrong thing to do. Yeah, I get it. I mean, gosh, I don't even want to talk about anything I've done in the past because you probably go, holy crap. You know, but yeah. I, I, but I get you. So you did that. You got through that. Then you went to your advanced specialized, uh, you know, SEAL training. When you finally got your Trident, when you finally got it, and then what was that like? I have memories from that because you go through that six months of all this advanced training. Yeah. And then they make you put on your best, most crisp uniform, like perfect uniform. And then you go down through every department. And they have these boards. And so the, the best divers and a dive master and all the guys that run the dive locker are all sitting behind this big table. 
and they're all sitting in these comfortable chairs and you're in this like little stool. It looks like it's from third grade. It's a small one. Right. And so you're sitting there sitting at attention and they're shooting all these questions at you and you have to answer every question. Perfect. And it's all these seals and like experts in the field. And they're asking all these minutiae dive questions. If you answer anything wrong, you're done. They're like, well, they'll give you like a second chance. Sometimes if it's close, if they say, well, we'll ask you this question. It's a harder question, but you better get it right. And if you miss that one, you fail. No trident. Wow. And they make you go through it. They, you have to go through it again. Or you get kicked out because you're, you're not, you can't do it. You're not hacking. Then you go in front of, in front of the, uh, the gun guys, the armory. And there's a whole bunch of SEALs sitting in behind his desk, chiefs and above. And they ask you a whole bunch of questions. And you have to answer them all perfect. Then you go in front of the airborne dudes, you know, parachuting guys. And they ask you a whole bunch of air stuff. Then you go in front of communications. You have to know every radio, every frequency, all the stuff. It's like every department and every skill that you learn for the past, you know, year. It's minutia, everything. And if you answer anything wrong, you're done. And so you're like, ah. And when you finish that, you finish the final board, which is like a leadership board. It's like the commanding officer and all these leaders are in there and all the master chief and all the big ones. And they start asking you other questions, just generic things about integrity and what would you do in this situation? What would you going to do with that? And they're asking you all these, all these questions. It's like really testing that. Are you the right guy for the job? Every SEAL went through it. Wow. And it was, it was, it was a big deal. And when you pass all those, they don't tell you passed. Until like later, and so you're still nervous. You're like, did I miss anything? Are they going to get me on that? I don't know if I answered that right. And then they they come out in the big group and they start calling you up forward. And here's your trident. And then it gets pounded in your chest, and it's like, yeah, it's like the greatest thing, man. It, it's it's unbelievable. Congratulations, you know, I uh, knowing that people like that exist in our armed forces <laughs> makes me sleep easier at night. You know, I know the missions are tough, and that's tough training and. You know, without warriors like that, you know, we some of the things that we've been able to do would would never happen. Well, you know, they ask me a lot now because of who I am, and they start talking about women and seals. And women have made it through ranger training. They go, went through ranger school, and has the training changed for ranger school? I think there's a lot of things in ranger school that they can change because ranger school is not qualifying you to be a ranger. Really, when you go to a ranger battalion, that's when that's a ranger. Yeah. But if you can go through ranger school as a college kid, if you're ROTC in college, you can go to ranger school. Yeah. If you're anything in the army that you're not ever going to be a ranger, you can go to ranger school. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so ranger school has the capability to change because it's a leadership school. It's meant for the entire army to go through to learn basic small unit tactics and to learn a lot of really great skills that anyone in the army, women included, can can profit from, you know, as a leader. But SEALs is not that kind of school. And so they asked me, can women go to, through SEALs? I go, well, and they compare it to ranger school. I said, well, ranger school is not like SEAL team training. SEAL team training is single focused for you to climb a caving ladder 60 feet. And a caving ladder is about eight inches wide and has these little tiny rungs on it. And it goes up 60 feet to board a ship to attack that ship. Now, what kind of training do you need to do to test yourself, to climb all this huge ladder, and on your back is your weight, and you weigh like 200 pounds, plus you're carrying all your web gear, your weapon, all your ammo, your grenades, and usually some special equipment. You have about 80 pounds on your back to climb this little narrow ladder that you're basically doing pull-ups to get up on this thing, to go all the way up to ship, and then, and then you have to attack. So we have tests, and part of that test is you're going to do 30 pull-ups with 50 pounds. 
And so, and I say that because SEAL Team Bud's training and going through the SEAL Team tactics and all the other advanced training, that year-long training, every skill and every test they give you, doing all those pull-ups, it's not because they're punishing you. Right. Doing all those push-ups, it's not a punishment. It's not the do, running for 18 miles with you know your 40-pound rucksack on. That's not punishing you. That's getting you ready to do the job, specific job. We're not giving you all these things to make you a great leader in the Navy to drive a ship. We're not making this for as a leadership school like ranger training for you to be an army general or to become an admiral. So how many women, how many women can do 30 pull-ups with 40 pounds in their back? So they have to pull up their weight plus another 40 pounds. They got to do it 30 times. And I know women's physiology is different. And I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna say that. You know, women have a lot of things that they're great at, but they're not going to be great at pull-ups because of physiology. Just the muscle. You know, and, yeah. and I've learned that. And we're built different. Now, a lot of women can do way more sit-ups if they train on it than most men because of physiology. Right. And that's a fact. If they train for it, they work on the sit-ups, they can do amount immense amount of sit-ups if they had the same but pull-ups, they hit a they hit a plateau and they get to a point where it's like oh, you just can't do it. But I'll tell you what, there are a lot of women that can do it. Now, all the women that can do 30 pull-ups with 40 pounds on their back, and that, that number, what do you think that number is out of all the women in America right now? It's probably pretty low. It's going to be really low. Now, how many of those women in that really low number want to be in the military? A lot lower, tons lower, because they're, they're not on a soccer team. They're not on Olympic athletes. They're not, because if you can do all that, you're pretty high caliber. Right. You're going to be doing professional sports. You're going to do an Olympics. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. There's a lot of things you can do besides the military and get paid, you know, $300 a month to get shot at and blown up. It's, a, it's like crappy pay to do a, <laughs> to do basically an Olympic caliber job. And then when you retire, like my retirement, I'm retired after 20 years and they're giving me like a month. They're giving me like $1,800 a month for the rest of my life. It's like, wow, thanks. So I have to get another job to make enough money to live. You know, hey, thanks a lot for my 20 years of service. What's the old cliche or the old axiom? The truth shall set you free. <laughs> you know what? Let, the haters are always going to hate for one reason yeah. or another. But the way I look at it is as long as you got the truth on your side and, and it's well-founded because you've been there, done that, oh, well, some uber liberal or some uber whatever decides that they want to make a judgment or an opinion. I got my own quote. Everybody has an opinion. Some are more smellier than others. You know, uh, that's all I can say with <laughs> yeah. that one. But, there's another. There's another way to do that quote. <laughs> go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. No, you, no, can, you, you know what it is. Oh, which one is yeah. that? It's everybody. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. They're like assholes. Everybody's got stink. two. Yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your bronze star, if you'd like. It's classified. Okay, so you can't tell us that. I was a dev group for like five years i can't four years for i don't know i was a dev group for like five years and i was one of those weird seals so i did i mean i still am a weird seal like no guess. it's all good but i was doing a lot of the technical stuff i was doing the surveillance stuff the black bag ops i was a plumber whatever name you want to call it but i went through a, a ton of cia schools and all these other schools and training and so i was working with a lot of the really technical things and so dev group brought me in as a specialist. And so I didn't go through green team and I actually get crap for that. It's like, so you're going to give me crap because they brought me in as a specialist because they didn't have people to do the job. And you had wanted me so bad. You said, don't worry about green team, just come over. 
So if you're going to recruit somebody and bring somebody in that skips green team, because I didn't have to. What's the green need, team? Tell us the green team for people. So listening. green team is like going through buds again. It's a selection and like a Uber. It's like now you're like way above Olympic athlete status. You're running a marathon like every three days. And now you have to do a hundred pull-ups with a thousand pounds in your back. Like it's unbelievable training. Do you have to do that though? I mean, obviously you don't. Oh, yeah. 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 Except me. I think I was like one of only three people ever to not do green team as a CEO and go to dev group. Well, so, you know, if you had to do it all over again, looking back on it now, I wouldn't go to dev group. I'd be like, hell with that. Cause then I, I was like limited to my rank. I could never make mass chief. Cause I was there. I, I like cut off my advancement because I went somewhere that I basically hid. Now, no one in the regular teams, all the promotion boards, everything else, they don't know what the hell I'm doing. And because I'm not part of the assaulters, I'm part of like this special tech squad that nobody even at the team knew what I was doing because I was always gone. I had the longest beard. I had long, long hair. And I was, I disappeared. And so all my, all my advancements, I was basically, I stopped. I should have never gone to dev group. It was a dumb idea. Because even guys at dev group, they, they, I walk up to them and I was like, hey, what's up? And they don't invite me in because I'm not like, they're a guy. I'm not, you didn't go through green team. And they start, they punished me because I didn't go through green team. And I went to their team to help them on projects that they couldn't do. Got it. I mean, it's just like, it's like, I'm in the worst position, like everywhere I go. I do. It was, I should have never gone there. I would have been better off. I would have been a mass chief. I would have been part of a team, you know, of, of guys who would appreciate my skills. Is there any one thing that you can point out, you know, one of your seven deployments in combat zone that you can, is there any one thing that sticks out in your mind that just is poignant? Like, holy crap. Like I was on a JTF from one of my teams. And uh, we were going after this really, really high up dude. He was a bomb maker. He was like, we already had him once. And then he was connected and he somehow got out because of whatever, whatever reasons. So we knew who he was. This is a bomb maker. This is a bad dude. And uh, we're going after him. And uh, so... I was on a ladder team and I went up over the wall and I opened up some doors and we got in the compound. We're doing this all super, super quiet. And we had all the dudes with other ladders on the other side. They're setting up with sniper positions on some of the other rooftops. And they're, you know, if they had rooftop guards, they were all taken care of. Real, everything's quiet. And so we're walking through here real super quiet. And we start ducking under this room inside the compound and the window's right there. And then there's enough noise. Something happened. Something started going off. And so the people inside that room started waking up. And it was the dude's room. You know, it was his little house within the bigger compound. And so we immediately, you know, start moving towards his door. And the first guy kicks the door. And I think I was number two. Then he has three and a four. And the dude's up. And he's going after guns. And there's a bed there. And his wife is down on the ground by this time, crying and screaming. And we're, we're yelling. We got, our, we got our night vision goggles on. And so we see everything. And so there's a back door. And I guess there was like a, an uncle or somebody else who's related was in a back room as whatever security starts coming through that. In the middle of that room, there's a baby's crib. And you got to figure, if you're, we're shooting and our tactics, we're all on a wall. Yeah. And we don't leave that wall because it's like a phase line. So if any shooting is going on, we know where we all are because that's, that's – we didn't never break that SOP. It's an SOP. You never leave the wall. And so in the middle of that room, you know, in the middle of all the fire is this baby's crib. Mm. And uh, 
I, I put my gun down to my side and I grabbed a baby and I hold it against my body armor and I put my back towards what starts turning into, you know, the fight and, uh, and I get the baby out, you know, mm. and then I later get yelled at cause I broke, you know, SOPs and all that and that. And we were like, you know, we wouldn't have shot the baby. And I was like, I know we wouldn't, but that dude with freaking guns and everything's going off, he's going to shoot his own kid and freaking flash crashes are going off and everything's just chaotic in there. There was a good chance that baby would have been killed. Without my own safety, you know, and without anything, I went and I saved the baby. And it was the right thing to do, you know. It was the right but thing I, to I do. But I got yelled at for that. I don't know. Well, the mission was a success. You bagged the guy and you saved the baby. Yeah, I mean, we, couldn't got, have we been got him. Yeah. That's admirable, Kristen. It really is. And, and you know, I, I believe in karma and I believe somehow that's got to come back. So I didn't get a brown star with a V for that. I got yelled at you for got, that. You got your ass so chewed out. The, the Bronze the Star was for other stuff that I did. What was even crazier and hairier. Oh, so, but I can't go into that. But I get it. And I, I did other stuff. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff I did that was that I, I bring up these stories and I only talk about this not to like thump your chest and not to say, look at me, all that, because it's not a look at me. Yeah. The thing is, like every day you live, you have a chance to save somebody's life. And you know how you save a life? You know how you save a life? It's not in the middle of a firefight. It's not saving that baby in the middle of whatever. And it's not as it's not drastic. It's not big. You can save a life with a smile. You can save a life by calling your buddy and doing a buddy check. And I'll tell you what, 22 veterans, you know, take their own lives every day. It's down to 20, I think they said. So yeah, we're doing better. Only 20 veterans are taking their own lives per day. Per day. Yeah. Now, if you do a buddy check and you say in your mind, you say, hey, I want to call my buddies and you have your close group of friends, six or 10 of your buddies that win your squad, give them a call once in a while, you know, once a week, just like say, hey, how are you doing, man? And, and let them know what you're doing and share some stories and, and let them know that you care. You can save a life with a phone call. You can save a life with a smile that you're walking down the street and you never know what's going on in a person's life. You see somebody that's like having road rage and they get out of the car and they're just yelling and then you see him at Home Depot, which just happened to me a little while ago. You know, dude, I don't know what's going on in that guy's life. You know, he's I see him yelling at the phone. It's so freaking angry. You know, and, and it's like, and he's walking towards me. And I'm just like, you know, I hope you have a great day. You know I mean? It's going to get better. And you yeah. just have a sentence. You just give him a sentence. And he looks at me and he's like, and he wants to yell at me so bad. And he looks at me when I'm saying, dude, it's going to get better, man. It's going to be all right. You know, have a good day. You know, just trying to give him a little bit of encouragement. And the guy looks at me and he's kind of like, and he kind of like half smiles. And he's kind of like, so in his head, he's going, what's going on? You know, why was he yelling? What's, what's happening? Well, you diffused it for sure. Yeah. Just, I mean, you never know. Give somebody a smile. Give them a word of encouragement. Call your buddy. Do a buddy check. In my community, for the transgender community, we have 41% of the community that I'm part of are attempting to take their own lives. My guitar partner, who is a transgender, who was in the Air Force, and okay. she was Brian and grew okay. up in my hometown, went to the same high school I did, and Brian was in the Air Force. And then when she got out of the Air Force, she became Bree. And we've had lots of conversations, and you know, she's taught me so much about the guitar. And wow. It's been yeah. really cool. And so life is tough enough, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, it's challenges every day and you're right. And I, and I'm telling you, Krista, I believe in freaking karma because it comes back to you <laughs> yeah. and that smile, yeah. saving that baby, that smile, that, that positive mental attitude, no matter what you're going through, calling your buddy, yeah. buddy check, 
that kind of stuff works. You know, if yeah, you, you want to fall in with society and be like everybody else, you can do that. You have that choice. But yeah. just remember this. Every single person that you pass on the sidewalk has a story. Yeah. And, and, and they're going through some of the same stuff you're going through. Yeah. And unless we can, yeah. unless we can somehow, anyhow, so, you know, Sabrina has been awesome. And, you know, I'm going to get her on the show, too. She did some time in, in Korea you know, South Korea, but, yep. but yeah, I've been know, there too. you know, so let me, I, was, I was further North. <laughs> oh yeah. You were somewhere else, but you know, she was, she said, all I did was get drunk the whole time I was there, but you know, air force. Hey, I can, I ever, can I bring up something that you just did? That was amazing. That was awesome. Oh, go ahead. So there was a study at the university of Texas. Now, Texas is not super friendly to the LGBT community. So if this study came out of Texas, you got to figure that they were really digging deep but they came up with a study, and they found that a little over 70% of transgender kids will not think about suicide when it, it totally goes away, totally helps them out if you only just do a couple things. Use their name and use their preferred pronoun. So for you to call her Brie and call her by female pronouns, you just made a 70% increase in the chances of her having a happy, great life. Well, she's awesome. You know, I mean, you yeah, know, I'm, just, I'm just that. using no, that example. Cool. Just that what, what you did is, is just amazing. And you know what? When you call her Brie and you use feminine pronouns for her, how, what does that cost you? The truth? It costs nothing. Does it, does it cost you any money no. or any integrity or any honesty or religiosity? Does it make you less of a Christian if you call someone by a name? If you say, hey, Kristen, that's fine. Are you less of a Christian? Would Jesus say, yeah, right on. That well, she plays, must be called Kristen. That's awesome, Kristen. Because, Do you know what I mean? Because it doesn't cost anything. Bree plays in the band at my church, at our church. Bree's in the, in the well, church that's band. that's awesome. Because I grew up as a Christian, and I believe that Jesus is, a, and well, he started out as you know, Jewish, but I think he ended up as a Christian because he was <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. But, but for you to be a good Christian, it takes kindness. Dignity. It takes, it takes love. It takes, yeah, it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take hate to be a Christian. It doesn't take bigotry to be a Christian. You know, and the Christians that are worse to me, Christians are terrible people. Can be, can be. But you know what, though? Think about this. Well, you know, the proverbial male image, you know, the knuckle dragger. I got to tell you something, yeah. you know, as a, yep. as a childhood assault guy, right? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. No, Man. you know, you know. As I, a kid. Well, thank you. And, but, but you know what? I never, after that event, right? And this show's not about me, yeah. but it's just real quick. You know, I never... You know, the guys would be hanging out and they'd be talking about their conquest, you know, their sexual conquest and this and oh, that. God, and, it makes me so angry. And I never felt like I fit in because I used to think to myself, well, that chick's got feelings and you're talking about yeah. your girlfriend, you know, and it's like, holy yeah. cow. So I started writing. Yeah. I think my first poem was why being a guy isn't cool sometimes. And, you know, and of course, you yeah. don't share that with anybody back in junior high school because they think you were a lunatic. But, you know. That there's, there's these stereotypes that they've got of human beings that we don't have to live in. Yeah. I don't, yeah. You know, you go with the crowd and herd mentality. But anyhow, so let me ask you this, Kristen. What what kind of message would you like the, the general public, people that aren't really veterans and don't really understand the military world, but what would you like them to know about veterans, but especially combat veterans? Because we hear this, you know what we hear. We hear this and we hear that. And, and we're you guys and ladies are all crazy. Don't hire them. You know, what would you like them to know? Well, I would say that, say, in combat veterans especially, like, we've been to hell. We've seen stuff that just nobody should ever see. We're going to have memories of that. We're going to have, I got traumatic brain injury and I have PTSD and I have all the other stuff. But I've got a lot of things that I'm working on in my life 
you know, meditations and I'm going through these shaman courses, you know, shamanic drumming and chanting and a bunch of other stuff. So I'm doing a lot of stuff that's not taking opioids, not doing the stuff the VA is forcing on me. So we're working on ourselves. We're trying to be better. But the thing is, is the experiences that we have in leadership, and I, I had 30 people under me, you know, in combat, you know, that's like leadership. If you're not a good leader, when you have those and all the chaos going on, you're still be able to make sense. That's a pretty good leader. And then I had a budget of like $600 million. It was like $620 million. I don't worry about the $20 million because that's just not very much. But I, I was like running these huge budgets and these giant programs and, like, and leading tons of people so I can manage money, you know, and budgets and, and all the other stuff I have to do. And I'll make an Excel spreadsheet to make your mind bleed. It's just like... You know, there's like the funny Excel humor, but no, I get PowerPoints, it. I get it. man, I'm a PowerPoint ranger. You've never met somebody who can do a PowerPoint like I can do. You know, I can PowerPoint it down that I'll take your 30 page PowerPoint, you know, 30 slides, and I'll say the same thing in 10 slides and it'll be like succinct and exact. And this is what you need. And so if you want somebody that has skills that you don't even know, man, just take a look at a veteran. We have a lot we can offer. You know, we're going to have some issues and we might, there's some things that might trigger us. And for me, sometimes, you know, smell gets me sometimes. I went by a dumpster and it must have had something dead in it. And it like, it might've been a dead rat or something. Just when you smell death and you smell it for so long and so up close, like you, if you get a little whiff of that, when you're just walking down the street, you're just like, oh, and it just kind of puts you back in that spot. And it happened to me once in particular that I was really, it took me a little while to, to snap back, you know? And it's just like, so sometimes we're going to have some times, but what you're going to get out of this is going to be a lot better than a couple of times that I have to like take a day off. I'd be like, hey, I just can't come in today because this was a day that all my friends died on a helicopter, you know? And it just might be one of those days that I say, hey, I need that day, you know? And right. I'll take it as a vacation day if you're going to make me do a vacation day. But you know what? This is for my own well-being and, and it might be better for me not to be around everybody. Once in a while, just give us a break, you know, but we're going to give you a lot more in return. We're going to give you integrity and loyalty and, and honesty and, you know, hard work, you know, and a lot of leadership, you know, in places that you might not expect. We'll help out your leaders to be better leaders because we have stories and we can relate it to things. So we have a lot to offer. So never forget that. I guess the biggest message I would want everyone to hear from me is that the VA isn't always correct. And the VA was wrong about me, that they were trying to give me all these pills and anxiety stuff and all this stuff to help me sleep, to help me not be anxious, and not double lock on my windows five times a night as I'm walking around with my night vision goggles looking out a window. I'm in a farm and I'm looking out the window with these night vision goggles. It's like, I don't know why I do that. And why do I have night vision? <laughs> but, exactly. But just the VA kept dumping all these pharmaceuticals on me and none of them were really helping. Some of them were making it worse. And then I started turning to other other things. And I started a foundation called Mindful Valor. It's Mindful Valor Foundation. And it's about mindfulness. Dot org. And, it's a dot org. Yeah, yeah, mindfulvalor.org. So it's about knowing who you are and trying to take that darkness and living through that darkness and understanding it and then trying to find a present. And so all my anxiety and all of my worries and all of my depression we're laughing the past. Depression is you worried about the past, you doing this thing and stuck in the past. That's depression. And when you start being anxious and you start worrying and start doing all this stuff, that's when you look at the future and you see such a bleak future. 
because you're not in the present, you're not trying to fix your road where you are to try to make you have some hope and have this stuff going on in the future that'll make you that person that you should be, you know? So you have all this stuff and I've gained all this knowledge from all these people, you know, in Buddhism and Christianity and Hindu and Jainism and all these different things. And, and I'm picking up all these things and paganism and all these people have such great nuggets of truth within their words. And I'm trying to take all of it and put it into a message that we can value. Now I take the chakra beads and it's a little wrist bracelet and it's a meditation bracelet to get you in touch with your chakras. And so you go into Hindus and chakra and all the other stuff. I get, no, 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 don't do that. And I try to make it simple. And each one of these chakra beads has a color associated with it. And a red one been around like what four thousand years or something. It's been around. Yeah, it's like and it has power, but the power comes from how you think about it and how you meditate on what you're looking at and then how you make it relate to your life. That's the power of all of it. And now if you want to take it deeper and go into chakras, or you can do it the way I do it. I just see a red one, then I see a yellow one, then a green one, a blue one, then I see a tiger's eye, which is kind of the weird beads of the group, then a dark blue one, then this purple kind of funky bead and so the red one is about uh passion and i call it fire bead it's red it's fire and fire is passion and passion is what are you doing right now what's your mission you know i'm passionate about my foundation i'm passionate about this you're passionate about your podcast and so your red one you can meditate for an hour just on what your passions are and so red is fire it's passion so meditate just take those words and tumble in the words. And the next one is that yellow kind of funky bead. And I look at that one, it's kind of heavenly. It looks like clouds. It looks like the golden, you know, gates of heaven or however, whatever religion or whatever non-religion, however you look at it, it's kind of a cool bead. And so I just look at it like, like heavenly and heaven, it could be here on earth and it's your relationships. It's like you and your connections. And if you think about that one world, heaven, and what it means to you, it might mean nothing to you. And you might just think about energy. You go, well, it could be an energy bead too. Wow, it's energy. And do whatever you want. Then the green one looks like earth, man. It's an earth bead. You have a short time here on earth. Live the best you can. The next one is this really super light blue bead. And I think about it like the sky. And when you look at the sky, how far can you look up in that sky? And that sky goes endless. It goes really far. Or it just goes like right to the top of your ceiling because you're like in, you're always inside. So your sky is really small. It's like, dude, look at the whole sky. Look at everything. It's limitless. You know, make it what it is. That tiger eye bead, it's like a cat, and I think it's like an unknown bead for me. It's like a weird bead because you never know what a cat's thinking. No, you know, you, you pet, the, you you pet the cat, then it goes off and it looks at you like with cross eyes. But it goes, well, you know, why are you pet me? Leave me alone. You pet a cat with your foot, and a cat gets mad at you. Don't foot pet me. But then dog runs over. Yeah, yeah, foot pet. <laughs> it's like cats, tiger eye. You know, cats is the unknowns, and cats are unknown, right? And so the thing is, is like on Earth right now. And even for me, you don't know what transgender is. I don't know. It's unknown. I don't know what transgender is. It's unknown. Let it go. There's a lot of stuff in life that you don't need to know. You know, you don't have to like chase it down. Well, you know, go with the flow we, we talk about. Just, you know? just let it go. You can let stuff go. It's okay. The, the next one is that dark blue bead is the ocean bead. Yep. The ocean is powerful. You know, it's fun. Go surfing, have your fun, but don't forget it's powerful. You know, the ocean can ocean kill you. ocean can kill you, exactly. Yeah. And the last bead was that purple funky bead, and that's my soul bead. That's the royal and this, bead. This, the royal bead, man. It's the soul. It's like that person that you're close to. That's like, it brings you like on a different level. And you, it doesn't have to be like your wife or a husband or a boyfriend or girlfriend. It doesn't have to be like a soulmate in air quotes. But it's a person that brings you and makes you a better person, that brings you to like that next level. 
You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so that that's a that's a seven chakra beads, but don't think about it like chakras. And so I give these out for mindful valor, and I try to talk through and I say these meditation beads, just wear them and just think about the simple things: fire, heaven, earth, sky, uh, tiger eye, the ocean, and a soul. And this goes to the colors. It's real easy for you to click in your mind. And then you think about that word, then another word, then another word. Then you think about the idea and like dig into it. That's a meditation. And I'll tell you what, and if you relate those kind of meditations into your life, then you're going to find a lot of peace. And you'll find yourself living in a present because you're trying to make those colors and those words and those ideas like mean something in your life. And so it makes you think about right now. So you're not having depressed because of the past or whatever's going on in the past. You're not worried about that. You're not anxious about the future and worried about stuff and all that. You're in the present. And that's a huge part of mindful valor is doing that. And then I have like a whole bunch of other things that I do with people. If you want to get deeper into it about the drumming, you know, the shaman, shamanic drumming and some of the other stuff and, and rattles. But that's, but this is mindful valor. I, I want you to think about, a lot of stuff, not the pharmaceuticals. I don't want you to be drugged up into a zombie and walking around and, and being in a daze. Man, get off the pharmaceuticals. You know, I love like, you know, some CBD oils or some amazing stuff. CBD some of the, saved some my of the marijuana, man. Medical marijuana. You know, I totally believe in it because there's a lot of medical marijuana that has no high factor. It has a lot of other things baked into it, into the cookie or the or the brownie. There's other stuff that they're doing because they've got so many neat strains. In marijuana, the medical marijuana, not the high stuff, not just for you to get a buzz and have a kick, but they have medical marijuana specifically made for your anxiety or specifically made for your headaches or for your, you have epilepsy seizures. And I know children that are, that are on it right now that they have really, really bad epilepsy. And if they're, if they have some of this, you know, the medical marijuana, they don't have, they don't have seizures and they can live a normal life. And so why wouldn't you want your kid to, to have a normal life? Because they take this one pill once a day and it has medical marijuana in a pill or in a brownie or whatever. They're going to live a normal life. They're not going to be worried about constantly wearing headgear and always have this worry. You're on the right trajectory, Kristen, for sure. You know, it's, and what you're doing is you're taking holistic healing methodologies yes. that have been around for like centuries with proven yeah. science behind it. And you're helping to enrich people's lives by education primarily. And even like you said with the drumming, you know, I like lyrics, but I like, and I like that the trance state and, and, but you know what I, now at this stage, Do you drum? I don't, I play the guitar, I play the acoustic guitar, but it balances me, you know? And, and yeah. when you start to listen to the lyrics, like positive vibrations by, uh, yeah. by Bob Marley or natural mystic or some of the music yeah. that's out there, the didgeridoo. It's the heartbeat. It's oh, the heartbeat. You know, the didgeridoo, yeah. I never even knew this, but it's got, I this, played a didgeridoo. It's got, well, you, then, you yeah. know, it's got the same vibration as the planet. Yeah. Well, the, when I have one song that I actually published on the didgeridoo. It's for kind of a funky. I'll send, I'll send it to you. You can share it. So I got to introduce you to some people up in your neck of the woods. I know a lady that up there in New York, she grew up in Queens, but I did a 58 minute mantra. I didn't even know what nice. I was saying, but I did the mantra. I did the, the same <laughs> exercise awesome. over and over and over again. It was like three guys nice. and four ladies in the class. And we were yep. all crying at the end of it. And it was like, Wow. That's the first time that was my exposure to mantra. And I, I didn't even know what the hell I was saying, but it was beautiful. Chris, let me ask you this. It's been a great conversation. And let me ask you this. How can people get a hold of you and how can they find out more about mindfulvalley.org? Tell us what they need to do. So Valor, like the V on my on the brown star, the V for Valor. 
So it's mindful valor. And so what I'm doing is like a mashup of the holistic healing and a non-pharmaceutical and the earth, pagan, Hindu, Buddhism, Bob Marley, Jainism. I'm trying to take all of the old world healing techniques and using those instead of drugs, instead of pharmaceuticals. You know, and that's mindful valor. So I want you to be in a present. I want you to be healthy. And like, if you're if you're overweight, don't ever think about losing weight. Think about gaining health. If you have something going on, you're depressed. Don't think about getting rid of depression, but think about gaining happiness. And so everything I do is like that. Is like this, it's how you speak about what's going on in your life. You're going to be stuck in that. And so I never try to get rid of depression. I try to gain happiness and I have a whole bunch of stuff about happiness. Nice. We're pushing for it because, you know, we're working on another project called Task Force Zen, which is healing without labels. And you and I will we'll talk about that because I see some very similar missions. There's some synergy here. So, but I, I wanted to just, you know, Chris, I'm glad we finally linked up. Mindful Valor is not about being transgender. Mindful Valor is not LGBTQ. Mindful Valor is for veterans law enforcement, first responders, anybody who has had a job of service. So it's not me fighting for transgender rights. There's nothing transgender anywhere in Mindful Valor. And so I want to be clear that if there's a veteran out there, there's law enforcement, or if there's a firefighter or ambulance driver, or anybody that served, you could be in a Peace Corps, then you were over somewhere and you had something happen that's, that you're, really, you're caught up on. You can Talk to Mindful Valor. I got something for you. So Mindful Valor, just like I said in the beginning and started this off, I wish everybody served. And it's not the military. I want you to drive an ambulance for a year. I want you to go into Peace Corps and do a year. Go work in a hospital in the, in the emergency room and serve the greater good. Serve for everyone else. Not for you, not self-service, but serve service. And then you're part of Mindful Valor. I want you to be part of it. Absolutely. And and we're going to help, we're going to help spread the word here through Green Zone here and through broadcast. And, awesome. you know, I just, you know, we've been talking and having a great conversation with Navy veteran and former Navy SEAL, Kristen Beck, who is on a trajectory to literally change the planet. And uh, she's doing a, a darn good job of it. Mindfulvalor.org is an organization that has tremendous opportunities. And it's a mission that that we all need to be on, you know, we don't need to be separating ourselves and fighting each other. We need to be working together. And I can just say this because, you know, the things that you've done in your life has made my job. I didn't even, my life, I didn't even know who you guys were and you made my, my job or my life certainly better. And all I can say is this, Kristen, that I appreciate you and value you as a friend and, and, and as a, a fellow American, but more than than anything, as a fellow human being, that's being true to yourself and in being true to yourself, which nobody should hate you for, is being true to the planet. And when we can be authentic and real, we can certainly make this place much better. And I'd rather be smiling at people than frowning all day long. So I love you. I love what you're doing. And I know we're going to we're going to build a friendship. We're going to do some things down the road. But I look forward to our next conversation is there is there any last last thing right now? We've been having a great talk here. Do you have a personal mantra or a personal saying in your own words that gets you through every day? Yeah, I mean, when it was when I was in the seals, my personal mantra was "Don't fuck up." But uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. You said you know what? It's funny, you know. But probably, it was probably we were, we were so afraid in the military, the whole military. It's a zero defect military, and so if you do anything wrong. 
you get in trouble and you never make rank, you never advance. And so in a military, it's true. In a military's mantra is don't mess up. Like if you mess up, you're done. Yeah. Because everything is so critical that you have to be so like, and nobody, there's no chances. You don't, you hardly ever put your neck out very far for anybody because you just don't want to mess up so bad. And so that was, I did live by that, by that mantra for a long time. You know, just don't mess up. I was always, you're always worried and you're always training extra and make sure everything's perfect, you know, and, and you get caught up in that. So I lived by don't mess up for a long time. And uh, it took me a, a long time to get out of that mindset and get more into where I am now was like, you know, do no harm, you know, almost like the physicians and, you know, try to help and, you know, do something good. I want to change how I'm doing. I, w- I want to do something good. And the way, the thing I would ask all of you all, Facebook always gives you the opportunity when it's your birthday to give your birthday to a nonprofit. So you can look up Mindful Valor, just type it in, it'll show up as a nonprofit you can give your birthday to. So rather than you taking in a bunch of presents and doing stuff, for your birthday, give it to give it to Mindful Valor. Give it to another, give it to yours. You brought one up. Like if everybody out there listening would think about one of these programs that's doing this kind of thing, we're not the giant, huge organization with tons of overhead, because nobody in my organization takes takes a salary. Nobody takes a cent from Mindful Valor for personal gain of any sort. Everything we do is trying to do something and giving it forward, paying it forward and try to do something good. And that's what we're about. And I would say find an organization like that. Swords to Plowshares in, uh, in California is an amazing organization. I love the Sheepdog uh, Actual is a really good one. There's a whole bunch of really great ones out there. Ocean Blue, I think it's called Ocean Blue or Blue Oceans is another great one. There's a whole, there's a ton of organizations out there, but find a small organization that's very low overhead that really gives to the cause. So find your cause and give your birthday to that cause. You know, don't let the birthday pass over. You know, don't just let it slide because Facebook gives you an opportunity to pay it forward and give to an organization. That's some awesome advice. And, you know, we, we wish you tremendous success on mindfulvalor.org as you push forward and we're going to do whatever we can do to help out the mission. And we're just going to get the word out that we're going to keep putting one boot in front of the other and, and make the world a better place. So Chris and Beck, I appreciate you being here on the show. We're going to have more conversation down the road. I know we will. So <laughs> I hope so. it's going to be very cool. So whether yeah. people want to believe it or not, you know, we're all in this together. And, and if we don't find ways, I always tell people, I don't have the answers to anything, but I can tell you this, I can offer you at least one solution. And it's based on maybe my own personal experience, but, you know, through TBI and childhood sexual assault and all those things that, that are just so fun to live through. But, you know, it makes us who we are. And, and, and I think you're, you're valuable to this whole network of what we're trying to do. So thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me speak. Absolutely. Before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. Down